I think I sent things scattering there, did I? <laughs> okay, well, um, my name is Richard McEwen. I am a science villain. Um, I could make apologies for that, but I think if you examine in your deepest hearts and souls and minds, you'll find there's villainy in you too, and we'll come back to that later. I know the brief is to pick on one villain and talk about them for 10 minutes. And uh, when you start to look at villainy in science and the real evil geniuses that were around, avoiding the comic book geniuses, there are some absolute horror shows out of there. And I want to spare you those um, tonight because they would spoil your dinner and give you nightmares. And you probably know the kind of things I'm talking about, where you have a confluence of science curiosity with a political imperative and usually a bit of racism thrown in. And we'll say no more about that. But I think that broadly there is unintentional villainy and intentional villainy. And I'll just give a little outline of some intentional villainy here for you, which are, they're kind of humorous. I find my notes. <laughs> is there one up there? <laughs> ah, here it is. Oh, that's not it. <laughs> we need that fiddle piece. I bring my musical support. Well, I can't remember their names. But I can remember what they did. So maybe the innocent or the guilty will be accused of waterboarding his 11-year-old daughter as part of his research into near-death experiences. That's a nice one. This was a, there's a few examples on the web, and I, I did resort to the web a lot in this preparation to find out about these villains. And there's a good article on people who, scientists who experimented on their children. There was another fellow who believed that electromagnetic waves actually stimulated the growth of biological organisms. So he started off on peaches and they went to chickens and then went to his five-year-old daughter who he caged up in an, into an electrified cage and gave her various treatments. Uh, her quotation from this reportedly is, I like electric waves, but she didn't grow into a giant. So the internet. And here is a real unintentional villain. And he's not a villain, he's a big hero. It's Tim Berners-Lee. Tim Berners-Lee was the, really the inventor of the World Wide Web. He didn't take any reward for that. He made it very public, publicly available. But in preparing myself for this, and you see I'm very well prepared, I suffered the usual fate that probably many of you suffer from, and that is sidebar distractions. Who has not been waylaid by a sidebar distraction? A little 
baited news item. So while I was looking at Tim Berners-Lee, I had sidebar, you're probably feeding your cat wrong. <laughs> My cat's dead, so that did not tempt me at this point. <laughs> Fisherman drumps on, jumps on thrashing whales back to save its life. Yeah, kind of curious, but you can think that's not going to go very far. But this is the one that got me. Here's what happens when you hold back gas. <laughs> well, at 15 farts a day, there's probably some of you already holding in your farts or in respect of your neighbors or just let them out innocently. It was there. But it's not good to hold them in. And I thought this was a now, this is an example of a good, a good bit of science, and so my advice to you in that respect, on that side by distraction, is fart with pride, and if you can, make it musical, like my good friend Paul can here. Mm -hmm. But Tim Berner recently, in speaking a couple of blocks away from the White House, realized what's happened you know, with the internet, not the, the trashy kind of stuff I'm talking about here. But what he said was this. We demonstrated that the web had failed instead of serving humanity. The increasing centralization of the web ended up producing, with no deliberate action of the people who designed the platform, a large-scale emergent phenomenon which is anti-human. So, unintentional consequences. How many of you have heard the name Montgomery in the context of science in Australia? Any biologists out there? How many of you her have heard of cane toads? Hands up. Anybody not heard of cane toads? Montgomery, a good operator, doing the right thing, trying to save the environment from very heavy-duty insecticides in the 1930s was largely responsible for introducing the cane toad into Queensland for the Sugar Corporation, and uh, consequently we know how wild that animal has become and what a toxic Im uh, input it has been. You're coming to get me. The toxic input it has been to, to the environment, quite fatal for many species. So unintentional consequences. Then there is the situation that we sit as scientists, often we're the victims of science, of, of science funding. And we may have a course of work that really is important to us, but with funding cycles and funding priorities, we get thwarted. So it becomes necessary to try and create arguments that will ensure the continuance of that funding. When I worked in environmental science, if water was a priority, I did what I did under a water priority. If it was salinity, we did it under salinity. If it was soil conservation, conservation it was under soil conservation. But pretty well, the work that I did over the whole period was the same. It wasn't repeating the same, but it was advancing the knowledge in that space. Now, there's a kind of subtle villainy there. There's a subtle villainy in the, in the, in the politics of funding, and there's a subtle villainy in ourselves in the way 
that we actually conduct ourselves and our work. It's not exactly deceitful, but we have to create for, be creative. We have to put spin, just as the politicians put spin. I'm losing my timer here. I want to make sure that I don't do what I did last time I was here. And I'm very close. So it comes to the point where I want to just ask the question about villainy itself and where it begins and what is the nature of it. Um, science is an objective pursuit. But scientists I know are passionate people. That objectivity and that passion are not always compatible. Uh, the, the need to get into publication, the exclusion of data or the redoing of sets to get an answer that we anticipate we really want to maybe with the best of intentions, but it isn't, it isn't good science. Then there are the things we do just to stay on top, to rise. And many science organizations are led by really a close on sociopathic or psych <laughs> psychopathic people who are really using their teams to get their own way. They get driven on. But this does start very young, and so I'll finish now. I think I've been going 10 minutes with my own family. In fact, my niece who at the age of three, having been thwarted by her mother in terms of a lolly or some little treat, when her mother left the computer, she went onto it and deleted every single email that her mother had at three. So science and technology and accessibility is changing. You're ex if you have children, they are experimenting on you now. They're experimenting you on every day in terms of what they can get and how cause and effect and how this, how this whole thing works. So I leave you with that comforting thought if you're a parent and uh, <laughs> yes, I think that'll do. <laughs> and just to say thank you, um, thank, thank you to my friends from North Carolina who are staying with us at the moment and put a plug tomorrow night here at the Spotted Mallard a, a, a string band, the um, Blue Ridge Broadcasters, they'll knock your socks off. Come and treat yourself.